welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. A Supreme Court justice has cleared the way for a congressional voting map in Pennsylvania that could give Democrats a boost as they try to take control of the U.S. House in the November elections. Justice Samuel Alito left in force a Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling requiring the Republican-controlled legislature to draw new lines for approval by the Democratic governor. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court had said the old map violated the state constitution because it was too skewed toward Republicans. Joining me is an expert on election law, Josh Douglas of the University of Kentucky Law School. Josh, Republicans really faced an uphill battle in trying to get the Supreme Court to intervene. Explain why. Yeah, June, they they did face an uphill battle, and that was because the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision was based solely on the Pennsylvania Constitution. Uh, And in fact, in its order, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said that it was deciding the issue solely based on Pennsylvania law and the Pennsylvania Constitution. And typically, the U.S. Supreme Court has no authority or jurisdiction to hear issues involving solely state law. So the request for a stay went to Justice Alito, who hears emergency requests from Pennsylvania. What goes into a justice's calculations when he decides not to even refer the case to other members of the court? You know, that was a little bit surprising after Justice Alito did ask for a response to the stay motion. Uh, Many people thought that he would refer it at least to the full court. Uh, I think what goes into the decision is simply whether he thinks that there would be five votes uh, to issue the stay. And if he's not even convinced to issue a stay, then uh, I think he surmised that the other justices would be very unlikely to do so as well. How significant is this Pennsylvania court ruling for the Democrats in the 2018 elections? Well, I think it's pretty significant on a couple of levels. Uh, on the 2018 election, you're going to have a new map in Pennsylvania that's going to be a lot more fair. That is to say, it's going to be a lot less skewed in the Republicans' favor, uh, which is what the court found uh, on this map. So that's important for the short term. For the long term, I think it's important because it demonstrates the power of state constitutions to do a lot of work in protecting voting rights. Uh, and so regardless of what the Supreme Court does in the other partisan gerrymandering cases, you at least have one path for people who want to oppose partisan gerrymandering by going to state courts and invoking the state constitution. So, and the Republicans won the challenge to the map in federal court. So you think that the next thing will be more challenges to gerrymandering in state courts? I do. I mean, it'll partially depend on what the U.S. Supreme Court does in the Wisconsin and the Maryland cases on partisan gerrymandering that it's hearing this term. Um, But assume, let's say, that the Supreme Court rejects those challenges or at least narrows their scope. I think you could see more challenges in other states Uh, using the state constitutions as more protective of voting rights and more skeptical of extreme partisan gerrymanders. Republicans still haven't given up. The state Senate president and the state House speaker are trying to block the court's decision, the Pennsylvania court's decision, in other ways. They filed papers with the high court to invalidate the votes of two justices. Explain the basis there. Well, I guess they're they're saying that the two these two Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices uh, are biased and should have recused themselves. 
Um, I think that's a pretty uh, long shot argument, and there's really no basis for doing so. I did find it strange that, you know, normally we think of the U.S. Supreme Court's decisions as final, and, and yet they're still trying to attack it even after the Supreme Court refused to stay the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision. So they're, they're arguing that these two justices were biased. Uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. If the Republicans don't get a map to the governor by Thursday of next week, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said it would adopt its own map, and it's appointed Nate Persily, who's a Stanford law professor and a redistricting expert that we've had on many times. Do you think voting maps should be drawn by experts rather than legislatures? Well, I think it's a much better process to have an expert who knows what he or she is doing, and, and certainly... Uh, Nate personally has done this before and is is very good at it. Uh, that's much better than having the politicians draw the lines. Uh, there's you know other paths which include independent redistricting commissions, which some states are using, uh, and that's an also good way. Anything to get the politicians out of the map drawing process, in my view, is a good thing because they have incentives to skew the maps in their favors, and we see that both political parties do it. The Republicans have said the court set them up because it failed, it gave them less than three weeks to redraw the congressional lines, and it didn't issue a full opinion in the case. What do you, uh, what's your take on those arguments? Well, you know, I think the court was acting quickly um, because we need new maps in place for uh, people to know what districts they're in and uh, candidates to file their uh, nomination papers. Um, And so I do think, you know, there was a reason for the court to require the legislature to act quickly. Um, in terms of not issuing an opinion yet, I do think it's a little strange, and it would be helpful uh, for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to issue its full reasoning as opposed to just an order. I don't think that impacts what the legislature is tasked to do in terms of drawing a new map. It knows that the map it drew uh, was way too skewed politically, and so its task is to not do so the next time around. You mentioned the two gerrymandering cases from Wisconsin and Maryland before the Supreme Court. Explain the broad issues there. So the Wisconsin case involves a statewide challenge to the map as a whole, and it's using this new standard called the efficiency gap, which essentially measures the partisan skew in the map as a whole. Uh, The problem is that the Supreme Court hasn't been able to find a good standard for testing when politics has infiltrated the map drawing process too much. The Maryland case is a little bit different because it's challenging just one district in the state as opposed to the map as a whole, and it's invoking the First Amendment, something that Justice Kennedy has said he might be favorable in terms of looking to to root out partisan gerrymanders. So they have different approaches. The, the Wisconsin case is broader, and the Maryland case is narrower, and, and different legal uh, folk guy as well. Even if the Supreme Court says to the Wisconsin legislators, you have to redraw this map, and they do find that it was partisan gerrymandering, would they say you have to w- do it before the midterm elections? It's really going to depend on when the decision comes out. Um, you know, if we don't have a decision until the end of the term in June, then it might be very hard to get a new map in place before the election. So you might have one more election cycle under a map that is unconstitutional. We've seen that happen before, so it wouldn't be unprecedented. Certainly unfortunate, though, uh, where just because election cycles happen and the interest of time, a map has to stay in place uh, for one more cycle.
Yeah, it's not often that uh, a court tells you you have just a few weeks to change the whole map. Thanks so much for being here, Josh. That's Josh Douglas of the University of Kentucky Law School. That current Pennsylvania map includes the sprawling 7th District, which you might have heard critics say resembles the cartoon character Goofy kicking Donald Duck. The saga of the dueling memos continues. President Donald Trump has received the Democratic memo countering the Republican memo, which claims FBI and Justice Department misconduct in the surveillance of a former Trump campaign advisor. Trump now has five days to decide whether to release it, make redactions or block it. He backed disclosure of the GOP memo and declassified it. The man at the center of the controversy over the surveillance warrant, Carter Page, said today in an interview with ABC News' George Stephanopoulos that the work he was doing for the Kremlin was above board and part of a G20 conference. He also claimed that he's never spoken to President Trump in his life. I never spoke with him since. I never spoke with him any time in my life. You've never spoken to Donald Trump in your life? Nope. No email, no text, nothing like that? Never. My guest is Jimmy Garoule, professor at the University of Notre Dame Law School. Jimmy, let me ask you for your, you know, your reaction to hearing from Carter Page and who says he never spoke to uh, President Trump. He's been distanced by the Trump administration from the administration. Is it odd that they're using a surveillance memo about him to fight this fight? Well, a couple of things. That it's certainly odd that Carter Page has never spoken with with President Trump, despite the fact that President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, uh, selected Carter Page to be a foreign affairs advisor to uh, to then candidate candidate Trump, and so it seems rather strange that he would that, that Trump would appoint someone to such a prestigious position in the campaign, you know, foreign advisor without ever having formally met met the person. So so I find that that claim curious uh, at the least. The intelligence committee voted unanimously to release the memo. What's your guess as to what the president will do? Well, I'm hoping that uh, that he will treat the Democratic memo the way that he treated the the Republican memo, the the, the Nunes memo, and re- release it in its entirety without any redactions. But uh, that's the concern. I think the concern by the Democrats is whether or not a the president's going to release the memo at all, and b if he releases the memo, is it going to be released with uh, substantial redactions and sections completely blocked out? And if that's the case, then then it really kind of undercuts. It'll undercut his claim of of transparency and Nunes's claim of transparency and wanting to get to the bottom of the issues respect with respect to the uh, the FISA warrant uh, with respect to Carter Page. The House could committee could then seek a very rare closed door vote of all the House members to override the president and still release it. What's the likelihood that that might work? I, I think probably zero. I, I zero? zero that, yeah, I, I think zero. I mean, I, I don't have any confidence that, that there would be a majority of Republicans that that would um, seek to override the president. I mean, so if the president decides not to release it for, for whatever reason, I I'd, I'd, I'd have no confidence that there would be a majority of Republican members of, of Congress, of the House, that would override or seek to override 
override the uh, the president's will on the on the issue. Now, separately, former White House strategist Steve Bannon is planning to skip a closed door interview with the committee today, despite being subpoenaed to appear. That's according to two people familiar with the matter in Bloomberg News. He has talked to Mueller. Does, what does this show? Is there a lack of fear that the committee will do anything? Is it a disrespect for a committee that's in disarray? Well, it could be. You know, it's certainly very telling that, uh, that despite the fact that uh, he has uh, been requested or that the, the committee has requested to uh, uh, have him speak before the committee, that now this is the, uh, you know, that the basically he's kind of thumbing their nose at them, unless, you know, there's some compelling reason why he's unable to appear. But but if there is such a compelling reason, it hasn't been articulated either by by Bannon himself or by any members of the of the committee. So perhaps it does suggest that, uh, as you stated, it's a committee in disarray. It, it's a committee that perhaps has lost, uh, because it's become so partisan, that it's lost all credibility. And uh, maybe Bannon doesn't think it's uh, deserving of his time. How often do these House committees actually go forward and, if someone refuses a subpoena, try to enforce it by seeking, you know, going to a judge and trying to get contempt orders? How often do they actually push these issues? Uh, I, I think it's rare. I think typically, of course, uh, going to the court is going to be uh, an action of, of, of last resort, not first resort. And so I think that there'll be negotiations behind the scenes to find out what's the objection to appearing before the committee, and can those objections or concerns be allayed in, in some way short of going to the to a court. And, and further, I think on the other side, I think courts are reluctant to intervene in these types of, in, in these types of matters and leave it to the uh, to to Congress to try to resolve resolve the matter uh, itself. Very quickly, President Trump's lawyers, several of them have advised him against a wide-ranging interview with special counsel Robert Mueller, according to the New York Times. Uh, aides and lawyers believe Mueller might be unwilling to subpoena Trump and spark a White House battle. Do, do you, in about 45 seconds, do you have any doubt that the special counsel will subpoena Trump? Well, I think that, that of course, first they're, they're going to try to to gain his cooperation, see if they if he will just respond positively to a, a request to appear before before Bob Mueller. And and again, the question is going to be if the answer to that is no, then what are the concerns, and can those concerns be addressed in some way that's that's acceptable to both parties? But I think at the end of the day, if there's no agreement, I, I think that the Mueller will go to the next step and and try to force the president's hand through through the. Thanks so much. That's Jimmy Garulay, professor at the University of Notre Dame Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.